episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by SEM Rush. It is our go-to SEO tool for doing audits, for tracking position and ranking, for really getting ideas on how to get more organic traffic for our clients, competitive intelligence, backlinks, and things like that. All the important SEO tools that you need for paid traffic, social media, PR, and of course, SEO. Check it out at semrush.com forward slash partner forward slash duct tape marketing. And we'll have that in the show notes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Chad Peterson. He is the founder of Peterson Acquisition and the author of Swinging Doors, a guide to selling your company. So Chad, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me, John. So it's not often I speak to people, I interview people all over the world. My last guest was in Sydney, Australia. So it's kind of fun to interview somebody in Kansas City. Yeah, we are local. We're probably not 15 minutes away from one another, but we're broadcasting everywhere. And isn't that phenomenal? That is pretty fun. So let's just get right to it. Should everybody who starts a company have the goal of selling it? Absolutely. The problem is this, and I'll be very concise with my answer. Absolutely, you should plan on selling it. It doesn't mean you need to be working every day to make sure it's sellable, but you should have an exit strategy in mind because you're not going to live there forever. There are There's a chance you could, but it's a very small chance. It's kind of like somebody buying a starter home. Are you really going to live in your starter home forever? Probably not. You're probably going to move up. So I think, yes, uh, you're going to move on. It happens all the time. There are build there are there are builders of businesses and there are operators of businesses. I find that people that start businesses are more entrepreneurial, and I find that people that operate businesses are more managerial. And those that are looking to buy a business are more managerial. Otherwise, they would have started the business themselves to begin with. Hmm. Great point. So, and and you've probably seen. I know I have um, people that toiled their whole life. You know, maybe they you know they paid for their house and they bought their food and stuff, but then they came to the end and it was just like close the doors. I mean, that's pretty sad, isn't it? To me, it's especially sad. Um, you know, I I think it's absolutely terrible if you if you you're not able to sell your business and walk away with a severance package, so to speak, as being self employed. So. Yeah, it 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 really um, puts a sour taste in my mouth whenever I see somebody's business die on the vine and they just shut the doors. And really, I think most of the time it's because they had bad advice along the way because somebody could have stepped in and said, hey, this is how you do this and walked them to um, a strategy to get them out of their business with some compensation. So I'm sure that most business owners think that their business is worth more than, than somebody will pay for it. How do you how do you go about valuing a business. I mean, what are the just nuts and bolts in it? Well, how you value a business, bottom line, is just the cash flow or what we call seller's discretionary earnings, which is, let's just say there's a river of money coming through the door of your business and you stuck a net in that river. Whatever the owner can pull out of that river is seller's discretionary earnings. And that comes in the way of salary or uh, you know, pass-through earnings to the corporation and distributions, um, uh, you know, your car, your car insurance, fuel, uh, cell phone, meals, entertainment, 401k, travel, things of that nature. Anything that your company does for you adds up to that seller's discretionary earnings number. And we're going to use that number to price it to make sure that it debt services at the bank because there's going to be a loan on it. And so those numbers have to make sense from a, uh, a banking perspective. But more importantly, John, I would say 
whenever you want to go and sell your business, and I, you know, I know you have a lot of business owners in your audience and, you know, many of them have probably built great businesses. Um, but what I, what I really try to drill into people is watch maybe less than the profitability of your company, watch the passion that you have for your business. Because when you start to lose passion is when it's already over, the bell's already been rung and game's over. It's just you're hanging around for no reason. So when, when the passion's gone, be quick to be ahead of that. So if you think you might be losing passion for it, you probably already have. And a year from now is going to be more painful, and two years from now will be even more painful. And so if, if your passion is waning, then it's time to sell. Get, get out of your own way, because without passion, there is no profit. And if you wait too long, profits fade, the value of your business goes down. And so that big payday, which is what you were talking about earlier, is whenever you just shut down the doors, is because the passion left the building three or four years ago, and now your numbers are showing it, and now nobody wants to buy it because the, the numbers aren't there. How often do you find that businesses, um, it, it's difficult to sell a business because the truth of the matter is the business is really the owner. I mean, that person's relationships, their ability to sell. I mean, how, how big a problem is that when it comes time to sell? You know, you're never going to hear the answer from another broker, but I'll tell you the answer. Anything above $120,000 in earnings, it doesn't matter whether it's owner operator or not. And here's, here's the reason why. You can go get a job in corporate America making sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a year. You can't, or you wouldn't rather, go buy a business that's only making $80,000 a year and get a bank loan on that business to only go to work for yourself and make eighty grand a year and pay debt service on it. The threshold that I see psychologically is $120,000. So if you're an owner-operator of your business and you're making north of six figures, somebody will go buy that business, and what they'll try to do is find the deficiencies in your business, thinking that they can, and most likely they can, build that business from there. In other words, you got a 12-rung ladder. If you've gotten it to the fourth or fifth rung and you sell it, let's just say it's making one hundred and twenty grand a year, you sell it, they'll take it from there and they'll try to make it to $250,000 a year. There are buyers out there like that. But if you're an owner-operator and you're making $80,000, $90,000 a year, it's very hard to sell those types of companies. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So are there – I'm sure a lot of people that you you business owners, I mean, is it just the balance sheet, the P&L, the tax returns, or or is there a way to, to get value out of, I don't know, potential or – or an asset like web traffic or something like that? Or does it really just come down to dollars and cents? It, it really does come down to dollars and cents. Um, the, the, the extenuating factor there would be if somebody's really passionate about something and it brings them a lifestyle, then you can get more for it. The catch is always the bankability. So let's just say, for instance, uh, I've got a business that pays you $400,000 a year, you've got 23 employees, and you're going to have to work it, and uh, you're going to own it, but it's going to own a piece of you too. Well, that's worth X amount. But what if I said, hey, here's $400,000 of income, here's a laptop, here's your login, and here's your cell phone, and uh, you can be in Australia, or you can be a beach bum somewhere, and you can run this business. Well, that's worth a different amount, right? So both those are both 
truths. I mean, that's you know, one they're 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 so far from one another, but really they're bringing in the same value. But one has lifestyle potential and one doesn't. Here's the problem: the buck stops at the bank. So the bank is not going to put an exorbitant amount on lifestyle. They're only going to put the amount that they will lend on the actual business, which sends us into a different stratosphere where we have to talk about, okay, if you want more for your business because it's a lifestyle business, we have to find more of a cash buyer or somebody who has more money to put down on it. Because a bank would say, well, okay, I see your value, but I'm only going to do 80% of that value. Well, now we have to have a buyer that comes up with 20%, maybe even 30% if the business is priced with a lifestyle component. Where do you see people who, you know, come to you and say, I want to sell my business? You know, I heard you're a business broker. I mean, where do you see that they, like, what are what are their challenges typically um, when you, like, how do you have to get them in shape? Well, are you talking about, like, if they come to me and they're just not really ready to sell yet? Like, they're, they're not really ready for market? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean I'm, I'm sure a lot of people just think, oh, I just, I just sell this thing. I'm done now. I mean, and I'm sure you've learned that now there's... Yeah. There's some things you got to clean up. You've got to show, you know, what better cash flow, whatever it is. Yeah, the the biggest thing, really, I'm going to go back to that passion subject because the the the, the main thing is that they wait too damn long to call me, and by the time they call me, they are so exhausted they think it's like a lemonade stand. Oh, hey, Chad, I'm ready to sell. Go ahead and you know get rid of it. Okay, well that's not how it works. You have to come to me. I have to put together a package. I have to understand your business. We have to market it to the right buyer, not just any buyer. I have to get that through a very rigorous process called the SBA underwriting process at a bank. I mean, this this is not like, you know, this isn't selling candy bars. This is, this is selling a business. And so that's the first problem. The second problem is they're often not ready from a um, from a marketing and a management standpoint. I would say the three M's. Everybody has a marketing problem, a messaging problem, and a management problem. And those three things, marketing, message, and management, within those three things, those three things have probably made them tired in the first place. And that's probably why they're calling me in the first place. If they had really strong strategic marketing, they would probably be be doing better. If they had a clear, bottled-up, concise message, a brand that, the, that they could yell through a bullhorn and the market could hear them, they probably wouldn't be getting tired. If they had a good uh, management system in place where people were motivated rather than being managed, they probably wouldn't be getting tired. So it's the three M's, and that's why they call me. So I would say that number one is their passion, and then the three M's that I just mentioned. Now, I'm sure... <laughs> You know, different businesses, different industries are different. But are there kind of people like like should should business owners be thinking about who they want to sell it to and maybe even start courting like maybe existing employees or maybe a, a really good customer or, you know, are there, are there things that business owners should be doing in that sense to kind of before the thing is for sale even start sort of courting or, or grooming somebody? No, uh, that's the last thing they should do. Um an employee employee is never going to buy it. Um, the reason is most of the time they don't have the money, and um, you know people have their own dreams and passions. It, it kind of segues into another conversation, which is, you know, what about my son taking over? What about my daughter taking over? That never happens either. You know, whenever a, a, a son or a daughter, or in this case, you've mentioned a, an employee, um, you know, they've 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 seen the hell that that you've had to go through to build that business. 
And um, somehow the sexiness has worn off of it, so that doesn't happen. Um, as far as talking to competition, you don't you don't want to do that either. And uh, all of those buyers are very unlikely. What's so counterintuitive about selling a business is that the most unlikely buyer is the one who's going to buy it. Somebody who just walked out of corporate America, he's got six or seven bosses, he's miserable, he's in a cubicle, that's probably your buyer. And I have about 3,000 of them right now. And um, so it, it would more than likely be somebody like that, much over uh, competition or an in-house employee or partner. So let's talk about the types of buyouts. I'm sure a lot of people just assume, you know, somebody buys it from me and they give me a check and, you know, I go on my merry way. But buyouts are not really structured that way, are they? Well, uh, you talking about a buyout, like a partner buyout? Or no, I just mean uh, not necessarily buyout. Yeah. That's probably the wrong term. But when somebody sells a business, are there, you know, are they sometimes on the hook to finance it? Are they sometimes on the hook to stay there and, and you know, earn out, you know, what they're they're going to buy? Or is it or is it typically like I get a check and I go on my merry way? Well, I would I would say maybe ten percent of the time, maybe fifteen percent of the time somebody gets a check and they and they walk off in the sunset. But it's very rare. The reason goes back to the subject of bankability. So if the bank um, doesn't if the bank wants more security or collateral, then the bank can use that as human collateral. They can say, okay, we'll do the deal, but we want the, the seller to um, do a 10% seller carry. So let's just say you were to sell your business for a million dollars. The bank might ask you to carry $100,000. In other words, at close, you're not going to get 100 grand of, of your million. That's, that's a wonderful thing for all parties. It's just that sellers clam up and get tight whenever they hear about that because they're like, oh gosh, I'm not going to get my money. But the truth of it is that it, it never fails. I've never seen one fail. Not only that, but you, it's on a promissory note, and, and it's usually at a good interest rate. Right now, if you were to do a seller carry, you'd get paid 8.5% on that money, and it's mailbox money. So, you know, you close, the, you close the business, and you're getting mailbox money for the next 36 months. Every month, you get, you get paid. Uh, so it's, it's good for the seller. Uh, it's good for the buyer because the buyer has a, a feel good on the whole deal because the he knows that the seller is going to stick around and make sure it's a smooth transition. And it's good for the bank because they have the same mentality that they want to have a good transition for success. How often is the uh, seller contractually obligated to stay and and run some aspect of a business? How how often do you see that? Well, everybody is required to stay for ninety days. And everybody is required to leave at 12 months. So it's mandatory 90 days transition. That's standard. But with that being said, let's just say it's a business that doesn't require a full 90 days. Then the language is written up. Hey, for the first month, I need X amount of time. Second month, this amount of time. And then for the last month, you know, by phone as needed. But if you, let's just say you sold the business and the seller, is hanging around after the 12 month. It's after the 12 month. It's actually an SBA violation because there's a possible litigation matter there, and the SBA can't have it. So everybody has to agree that after the 12 months, you got to be gone. All right, let's flip the tables a little bit because you mentioned that you work with a lot of uh, you. You represent a lot of buyers of businesses. So if if a listener's out there thinking, well, maybe I'll just buy a business, uh, what should they be looking for? Well, uh, this is the truth of the matter. This is some real nitty-gritty stuff that nobody else is ever going to say to them, but I'm one of those brokers that will just hit you right between the eyes with it. 
you know, I just, I don't have any time to give you any fluff. I want to give people the real deal. The truth of it is that if you want to be a buyer of a business, you have to get close to a broker and you have to pay that broker. Here's, here's an example. And John, this is good for your listeners because it's so important. And like I said, they get wrong information. You know, there's a lot of misinformation about there. I've got 3,000 buyers right now. Let's just say that a, a, a good a good business lands on my desk. Let's just say that a business that's making $400,000 a year, you can run it from a laptop and a phone, which I just got one of those uh, today. As soon as I give it, if as soon as I package this up and I send it out to 3,000 buyers, you, it's like throwing a T-bone steak and a pack of wolves. It, it's going to be eaten up really quick. So there's a lot of people, and this is so important, there's a lot of people that are out there calling brokers and saying, hey, what do you got? Buying a business is not like buying toothpaste. You can't just see what's on the shelf and go pick it out. If it were that easy, it would be that easy, and it's not. So this is the thing. If you wanted to come to me to buy a business, I'm going to evaluate how rare of an animal that you want me to go get for you. If it's a rabbit, you know, something that's really common, I'm going to, I'm going to charge you $20,000. If it's a deer, you know, harder hunt, but common, could be $40,000. If you want an elephant, I could charge you $75,000. You know, if, if you want an elephant with pink feet, and purple toenails, I could charge you 100000 It depends on what you're going after. Because a lot of people will call me and they'll say, Chad, I want manufacturing and distribution. I want it to be making $3 million a year. I want it to be in this region. I want this amount of employees. I want this amount of EBITDA. I want... It's like, okay, great. Do you really think that I have that laying on my shelf right now? Okay, and so what they do is they waste their time. That would probably be like somebody calling you, John, and saying, hey, John, give me the top of Google. Can you do that tomorrow? You know, give me on the top of Google search rankings. And you're like, man, if it was that easy, it'd be that easy. A, a lot of people do ask for that, though. You're absolutely right. So, right. so, and, so and is the, that – The truth of it is you have to pay. Is that the typical arrangement, the um, the buyer pays your fee, or is a, typically a, a business broker compensated – Kind of like real estate agents. If you're representing both parties or you're representing one party, you get a commission. Or how, how is how is a business broker compensated? Well, I I represent the seller, but um, and in 95 percent of the case, and and I don't I don't even want to give your audience that that mis, that that um, that label. I I don't represent anybody. Okay, I mean that's just the improper way to say it. But if we're talking in legal terms, that's that's how it's positioned. But no, I I. I, I get paid by the seller, but I very much so hold the hands of the seller and the buyer, more so the buyer, and I get him through the bank. So I, I'm working equally for both sides. And but but in the in the scenario where somebody wants to go buy a particular type of business, I charge them to go hunt for that particular type of business. And then and then I also then and then that's a different fee and it's separate from the transaction. That's simply a consulting fee. And then I'll then I'll arrange with the seller. Uh, for the seller to pay me for the actual transaction for the seller. Got it. 
So yeah. I get pitches every now and then from business brokers. Um, and again, a lot of it's just they're, they're just cold calling. Uh, but uh, if if somebody's listening and thinking, you know, maybe I should go talk to a business broker. Are there certain things they should be looking for? And I realize you are a business broker and um, – you know, a lot of the other business brokers out there don't do, you know, some of the things you do. But if 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 somebody's considering, you know, what are what's kind of like the checklist of things that they need to make sure that they check off? Man, honestly, um, I know the question you're asking, and I, I'd like to answer it as you asked it, but I'm going to answer it a little bit differently, um, just because it's it's the truth. You really don't want to go with a business broker. You want to go with the owner of a brokerage and the reason is because most most brokerages um and i refuse to do it by the way i've employed over a thousand people and there's not enough aspirin on the shelves for that much of employment so i i just don't want the headaches but a lot of these brokerages what they do is they're hiring people to simply call you they're hiring glorified telemarketers so somebody else that actually knows what they're doing inside those walls will then handle it. So if you're getting cold called by a broker or you're searching for brokers to to sell your business, I I hate to be such a bad guest and 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 badmouth my industry, but I don't have the respect for the people in my industry. They don't have the knowledge, the expertise, the intentionality um, most of these people in the broker's business are just looking for a paycheck and you have to be careful with people that are in deals because they just need a paycheck. Now, I'm not saying that I don't need to make money because I'm not, I'm not Jeff Bezos just yet, but I don't, I don't need a paycheck. So if you, if you call me and you, you want to sell your business, um, I'm not doing it just to get paid. I'm doing it to do good work. And I can't say that for a lot of people. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Great answer. So, Chad, tell me where people can find out more about you and maybe uh, get a copy of Swinging Doors. Oh, yeah. Um, please contact me. Uh, if you if you have any questions about selling your business, please contact me at petersonacquisitions.com. And uh, go to my site and get the uh, free download of Swinging Doors. It explains step-by-step step how to sell your business and any and all details uh, of it. And uh, my website has a lot of blogs, too, full of information. But again, petersonacquisitions.com. I'm very responsive. And if you just leave your information there, I will get back to you. Yeah, and we'll have a, a link in the show notes, as we always do. So, Chad, it was great uh, visiting with you. And uh, maybe we'll bump into you uh, here in town soon. Okay, thanks a lot for having me on, John. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, 
Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.